Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's just over a week to go until we remove the shackles of the European Union and head for the glorious horizon of freedom and self-determination. Yesterday, as I predicted, the House of Lords cleared the Brexit withdrawal bill and so it has now passed its final hurdle, despite all those naysayers who thought something would go wrong at the last minute. I mean, only last week uh, I was at an event with Maya Tuzzi, our favourite YouTuber, and uh, people were asking me, but what if the House of Lords tries to block it? What if the House of Lords tries to do this? What if the House of Lords tries to do that. I told them in no uncertain terms there is nothing that the House of Lords can do to stop Brexit. Boris Johnson has now vowed to maximise all the freedoms the British people voted to grasp. Those are his words, not mine. So yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is officially party time. Instead of waiting until next Friday night, let's get the party started now, shall we? As ever, I will be asking for your full and total support throughout the show, which is now live streaming on YouTube, on Facebook and on Twitter. 0344 499 1000 is the only number you will ever need uh, to call in and join the party. Nick Dubois, uh, former Tory MP, author of Confessions of a Recovering MP, uh, is going to join us for part of the show this morning. Coming up as well, we're looking at the killer virus alert on all the front pages. Only on Monday, I was asking why our airports are not bothering to screen people coming in from Wuhan in China, and I was told by experts that there was no need. And I was even told that wearing a mask wasn't required. Well, guess what? Now we're screening at airports and everyone in China is wearing a mask, so it looks like I'm afraid I was right again. And apparently now uh, the Philippines have banned all flights into mainland China because this, I have to tell you, is a far more serious outbreak of a virus which is deadly than anything we've seen for quite some time. 0344 499 1000. We'll also be asking what on earth is happening at the BBC after they just cancelled the Victoria Derbyshire show suddenly. Uh, I don't know if it's got anything to do with the fact that she was up against this show uh, and therefore the ratings weren't as good perhaps as they would hope because everyone's listening to this show and watching this show now as well. Plus we'll bring you the latest from the madness of the Windsors, uh, everyone's favourite soap opera. Prince Charles goes over to Davos, decides it's a great idea to meet Greta Thunderbird and talk about us paying more green taxes. This coming from a bloke who doesn't pay any tax apart from the bits that he volunteers to pay. Absolutely unbelievable. You're listening to me and watching me on YouTube right here. This is the fastest growing radio station in the world. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 
Now, you might be forgiven for thinking that uh, Brexit is happening sort of almost as we're not watching, because after all of the madness of last year, after the tent of common sense, after the daily grind of turning up at Westminster, wishing something to happen and waiting for something to happen, only to be have the cup dashed from your lips once more as nothing happened, as the Remainer Parliament managed to keep blocking this and blocking that, it now appears that the House of Lords, despite all of its whinging and moaning and nitpicking, has in fact passed the Brexit withdrawal bill. So just over a week from now, January 31st, a week tomorrow, we will leave the European Union. There's going to be a huge party uh, in Parliament Square. There's going to be huge parties up and down the country. I'm sure you guys are going to join in. Uh, what I can tell you is that I think we should start the party early, like a week early, like now. Let's talk to Nick Dubois to find out what he makes of it all. Nick, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Uh, good morning to you, and thanks for the invitation to the party. Yes, well, I think the party goes on. Why wait for, you know, the day in question? Why not just start now? Well, it, it's kind of strange, isn't it, Mike, when you think of the hours and the torture that yeah. we've all been through over the last three years, that what is going to happen today, royal assent on the bill that has caused so many problems here in the UK, is just almost going to pass by and very few are going to notice. So it is a great moment. It really is an opportunity, I think, that come 31st of January, the, there is a chance for people to drop the rancor, get yeah. rid of the division, and, and say, well, we are this new independent country now, this great nation, let's make the best of it. Yeah. I'm not entirely optimistic everyone's going to buy into that. I think there's going to be a, a cohort of people who will never reconcile themselves to, to what's happened. But broadly speaking, I think Boris has got it right. People I think he, he, abso he absolutely has got it right. And also he's been given a massive vote of confidence by the great British public. You know, this is a man who has got an 80-seat majority in Parliament, the like of which has not really been seen since the days of Tony Blair, is it? He is master of all he surveyed. Yeah. And you saw that yesterday in the Lords, Mike, and you were absolutely right to predict that the Lords would not put up a fight. They cannot, six weeks after a general election, that said, get this bill done, yeah. get Brexit done, uh, actually stand in the way. And they were compliant, uh, they grumbled a little bit, but basically they understood their role was to follow what the House of Commons had decided. And when you've got an 80 majority, that is a powerful position to be in. And we saw that yesterday, and we'll see that as this bill goes through. Yeah, absolutely right. And as far as the actual sort of indicators are concerned, we've had some pretty good ones, I think. I mean, there are those in the city that I speak to who still uh, are quite cautious about the way forward, and they're quite right probably to be cautious. I'm not so cautious because I see, for example, the stories of a 1,000 new uh, financial companies coming to set foot in the city for the first time, Indeed. to open offices in London, employing thousands of people. I know that Jaguar Land Rover uh, have more problems and have uh, laid off a load more people but that's largely down to the diesel problem with their cars and also their bad management. And, you know, and their demand in China. Right? Yeah, of course. And so, you know, I see a lot of really good sort of uh, economic indicators. I see unemployment figures, the lowest uh, they've ever been. I see employment at a, a new high. You know, it's a great time to be alive, isn't it? Well, Mike, I think the most telling thing was that even the IMF that has predicted doom and gloom for Britain since um, uh, Christine Lagarde... Uh, now in another banking role with mm. the European Central Bank, said how doomed we would be with Brexit. Well, here we are on the eve of Brexit, and the IMF of it themselves forecast will do slightly better than France and Germany. And I think there's reasons for that, because the fundamentals of our economy are in a good place. Now we are about 
to go into a completely new period where the government can take control of a number of matters, but not least its own trade policy. Yes. Now, that's a huge thing. Uh, it's something that I think we're going to be dominated by over the next year. It won't be as rancorous as the debates we've had over the last three years, but actually the trade policy, which is all about making it easier to do business around the world, mm. um, that, I think, is a huge platform to drive success. Yes. Now, interestingly enough, we spoke about Davos yesterday because, of mm. course, Donald Trump was there talking about the great successes uh, that he's made of the American economy. But also he's taken a very firm stance against what I regard as the eco-planks and the Greta Thunderbirds of this world, uh, who basically want us all to stop flying anywhere, stop driving anywhere, stop doing business with, uh, you know, companies that are not green and all of that. Um, I was listening this morning to a conversation about how this is going to be possibly a bit tricky for Boris, because Boris, I'm quite surprised, has gone down that kind of green route. He wants to be carbon neutral by 2050. He's not going to reverse any of that. But um, is that going to be a strain on the relations between us and uh, Donald Trump's White House in terms of any trade agreement that might be forthcoming? Well, well, we seem to be hitting a bit of a sticky patch this week. Mm. Um, and funny enough, yes, there is an element of, of the, the, the green economy in there, if you like. But by, by the way, Mike, it's worth remembering that in, for example, in green technologies, offshore wind turbines, which are far better than the ones that are stuck all over the, the landscape of mm. the country. We're leaders in that, and that's quite a good sector and place to be in, just producing those things. I'd rather have them stuck in the channel somewhere yeah. than, than all over the, the green and pleasant land. But, but actually, we're, we're kind of seem to be in, a, in the last week, got into a bit of a confrontation with um, the Donald Trump administration, both over the Huawei issue, which, um, for those who are not up to date on that, that is about ally, allowing a Chinese-owned com com company to come in and build elements of infrastructure. We think it's okay. The Americans don't. So there's a bit of tension over that. And, of course, um, there's this tax where, basically, we are talking about a technology tax yes. on, on companies like Google and Facebook and others who, if they do sales in the UK, we want to tax them a little bit for that. Uh, and the Americans saying, hey, if you do that, pal, that's unfair. We're going to tax your cars. I think there's a lot of froth around, around yes. this at the moment. I think fundamentally the UK wants to do business and to deal with the Americans sooner rather than later. And obviously they've got to work on the EU trade deal at the same time because we've got a time limit on that. So a lot of froth around at the moment. I don't think there's going to be too much um, uh, confrontation because fundamentally you've got a liberal trade-minded prime minister with a liberal trade-minded president in America. Yes, no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, but what about the European Union negotiations? Who's going to be doing them? Um, how is that all going to go? They seem, they seem to be much less kind of confrontational uh, than they were in, in Brussels. Well, the, the, it's a different ballgame completely because uh, not least through our own fault with the withdrawal agreement, we basically, with those talks, we let them set the agenda, the time, the demand that we agree how much money we were going to give them in this divorce before we even got down mm. to the details. Things like that made it very, very difficult. However, it's slightly different now because the member states of the European Union, they will, they will want different things out of a deal with the UK. The one thing they have in common is they want a trade deal with the UK. The EU has to, whatever they agree, has to get approval from their member states. So they kind of have to look over their shoulder and they can't just 
blast on ahead like the bureaucrats that they are, which is what they did with the withdrawal agreement, where basically the member states were going to do whatever they were told. So it's slightly different ballgame. But you say they're going to be better. Only this week, there's a thing that I won't bore you with the details, <laughs> but called mutual recognition. Oh, yeah. and, and basically, that means uh, we accept that if we manufacture a bottle of glass in a certain way, it's actually the equivalent standards to what they have for manufacturing bottles of glass in the uh, European Union. So we should all be able to import and export without any problem. Right. And it kind of eases trade. Well, they started to get on their high horse earlier this week and saying we're not going to agree any mutual recognition agreements with the UK unless they do this or unless they do that. And, you know, this is all typical of negotiations, uh, is that they will start talking very tough and start laying down their rules. But they were immediately undermined when they said this, because some of their member states went, uh, hold on here, actually, yeah. um, we quite like to do that. So it's different. It'll be more constructive, I think. But look for moments of tension, because you just can't do business with the EU without them having their um, their uh, their moments of tension. No, I'm sure. But equally, they will also have to have one sort of eye looking over their shoulder, because there are plenty of people, and I've spoken to uh, a few MEPs who are on their way back from Brussels now after the sort of the last two weeks uh, of their tenure there, uh, saying, you know, we've had people coming up to us saying, you know, we we quite like to leave the European Union as well. And there's a lot of sort of what you might call dissenting voices in the European Parliament now, much more than there were before. Yes, and I think this, is, this sort of works for us and against us mm. in a way, because one of the things that really drove them in the withdrawal agreement talks was they were desperate to make this painful for the UK so that um, no one else would want to leave their club, mm. if you like. Uh, and and uh, they, they certainly succeeded in making it painful. We all know that. Of course, now it's different. It's completely different because suddenly people are going to see a large economy on the doorstep of the EU that is free to be as competitive as it wishes. And that's not something the EU welcomes. The bottom line is that politically they don't want us to succeed. Mm. Obviously, economically, they don't want us to do badly because that, that has a spin-off effect in the EU. But politically, there's nothing in it for them if we make a success of Brexit because others are going to go... Hello. <laughs> yeah, we'd like to. We'd like a bit of that as well. But even without our success, because it may be too difficult to judge the success or otherwise of the Brexit project until maybe two to three or maybe four years down the road. As I keep telling my friends in Scotland, who are uh, you know busily kind of you know trying to get another second independence referendum. You know, if you want to leave the UK because you prefer to stay in the EU, surely you should have a bit of time out of the EU to see how you like it. Well, you, you know, we had 40 years of the EU. Yeah. I, I understood why many people voted to join it. And I, I think probably had I been able to vote at the time, I would have voted to join the trading bloc. Yeah. But we had 40 years of an experiment that I think uh, ultimately was rejected for basically because they were becoming a big state control and interfering in areas where they didn't need to interfere. Let us see what it's like to be an independent, confident nation. Let's face it, we've got a, a fantastic history um, experience has taught us that we know how to do business around the world. Diplomatically, we have, or until Brexit, we had an extraordinarily good reputation. There's many strong points for us to be talking about now, and I think we've got to show that confidence, both in our negotiations with the EU and elsewhere. Life does not begin and end in the EU. I'm looking forward to building on the trade agreements around the world. 
using our influence diplomatically around the world and not feeling that we have to do everything uh, with the consent of the EU um, uh, because, you know, they are not, they may be a big player in town, but they're not necessarily the future. They are an economy that, although large, is relatively shrinking yeah. compared to the growing economies around the world. Mm. And also, um, at the end of the day, they're no longer the boss, and we've got a lot of other things. I mean, Boris is talking about a bright, exciting future, um, which involves an awful lot of policy making and an awful lot of uh, bill passing, which has got nothing to do with Europe. No, but I think there's also something else to bear in mind here, Mike, a note of caution, because actually the government's got what it wanted. It has taken control of everything. Yeah. It's taken control of immigration. It's taken control of trade. It's about to be exactly what was demanded in the referendum. But it has no place to hide. Yeah. There is no one else to blame now. So they've got to use and exercise that power and control wisely. And I think it will be a very simple judgment, therefore, for people to say, you know what? Uh, you promised this. You've delivered this. Good on you. Or right. if it goes wrong... There is a government that's got no place to hide. No, quite. But also, they haven't got much of an opposition to be up against either. So, you know, I've seen lots of people writing stories about how the BBC must be the official opposition of the uh, of the government because the the real official opposition is absolutely and utterly useless, which is true. Um, but, you know, that's not great for democracy either, is it? Uh, uh, no. Uh, I actually genuinely say this. I know lots of politicians will say this, and they don't really mean it, is that actually you'd need an effective op yeah. uh, opposition. Right. I think that is true. I think you do need an effective op uh, opposition. We are far from that. We're not going to see it over the next five years, whoever is leader. It's quite clear. Um, but that, that I think, uh, would, would perhaps trouble some, except to say we've seen a new Boris Johnson since this election. Yeah. You have seen a Boris Johnson, much more like the Boris Johnson when he was mayor of London. He is, if you like, he's, um, he's, he's actually less of the showman. Yeah. His emphasis is on getting the job done. He's t can you imagine this? A prime minister has basically told his cabinet, you will not be judged on what you say publicly in interviews, how many interviews you do, right. how good you are on the media. You will be judged by results. I mean, that sounds like a chief executive who knows where he wants to go. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's to the detriment of, of people like ourselves who don't get to get uh, cabinet ministers on as often as we'd like to because they're no, now terrified of doing too much of it in case they get slapped around. And I love what Dominic Cummings is doing. I love the way that he is kind of, you know, cutting his way through the civil service, investigating things, looking at stuff, making noises about the director general, next director general of the BBC. You know, this is all very, very positive, I think. He, he is a disruptive innovator. Yeah. He is disrupting to innovate, and change is a good thing. Uh, I, I, I mean, it's very unusual for an advisor to be so much in the limelight. Normally, they don't last very long when that happens, and they, they're not meant to be in the news. My time as a special advisor, it was that uh, I had to literally hide from the cameras, not always too successfully. And that, that you're just meant to get on advice and, and do the job you're doing. He's in a unique position. He's got the confidence of the prime minister to shake things up. And I think that's a good thing. We'll start to see what that looks like with the cabinet reshuffle, which is estimated to be in two or three weeks' time, um, probably sooner even, uh, which we'll start to see if there's government uh, departmental shake-up, people shake-up, and if some of these new, uh, shall we say, thinkers that he wants to get in, um, people who would not normally uh, necessarily align with the civil service, see if they are in roles and get key roles, and we'll start to see how effective it will be. But everything, Mike 
will be judged on results. Absolutely right. Nick, great to speak to you. Thank you very much indeed. Nick Dubois, former Tory MP, author of Confessions of a Recovering MP, a great book. You should get it and read it and uh, learn from it because there's a lot uh, that you can find in there that is of great use to anybody trying to understand the way that the British parliamentary democracy works. We've got loads to do today and I want to hear from a lot of you as well. 0344 499 1000 because the Brexit party, as far as I'm concerned, is starting. It starts today and we're going to run it for at least a week and we're going to celebrate, of course, at 11 o'clock on Friday next week. January January 31st. Uh, there's a big party in Westminster uh, in Parliament Square. Nigel Farage is going to be there. Richard Tice is going to be there. Julie Hartley Brewer is going to be there. I'm going to be there. Everyone's going to be there that matters, right? And of course, you can be there as well, uh, if you so wish. We are live streaming on YouTube. A lot of you still bumping your gums about what happened yesterday. Move on, guys. You know, get over yourselves. Snowflakes United don't need to be worried about what happened to Mary, who called in yesterday and who I apparently shut down. Well, she called in and was put on the air. You planks, get a life. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. And don't forget, of course, you can also watch us now because we are live streaming on YouTube, we're live streaming uh, on Facebook, and we are live streaming uh, on Twitter. Uh, pay no attention, by the way, to a bunch of complete and utter planks who are on the YouTube feed going on and on and on about something that happened on the show yesterday. Uh, they've now started to get nasty. Uh, some of them are now calling for me to be hanged uh, because I'm a traitor, apparently, which is a little bit harsh, considering uh, all I do is do a radio show. But there we are. What can you do? What can you say? Let's talk to Dr Mark Paris from uh, International SOS and find out how serious this um, coronavirus is going to get. Uh, Dr Mark, a very good morning to you. Hello, good morning. Hello. Now, uh, this story has made the front pages of a lot of the papers this morning. World War flu on the front page of The Sun. Uh, crisis talks as China uh, shuts virus-hit region. It seems to be getting a bit more serious than it was at the start of this week. When I spoke to, I'm not going to say a colleague of yours, but, a, but an expert in, in viral um, uh, immunology who basically said there's nothing to worry about. Well, I'm not an expert in viral immunology, but I do know a fair amount about travel medicine and the effect of it on coronavirus. Yeah. I think we do have to put it in some sort of context. Uh, we're all exposed to coronavirus uh, a lot of the time. It's the cause of many of the coughs and colds that we have. This one has changed a little bit, passed from animals to humans, has done a little bit of a mutation, and now is causing us some serious effects in some groups of people. Those that are most affected are the old and the young and those who are immunocompromised and sick, they are the ones who are most likely uh, to have a serious effect and, and potentially even die. About 2% of cases seem to be uh, dying at the moment. We just need to keep a careful eye on it. Yes. Um, and some simple measures, I think, are those that most of us need to be aware of. Well, it, all I was saying on Monday uh, was, you know, if, surely if they're if screening people coming off planes from China in the United States of America, we should be doing the same. And the argument I was given as to why we shouldn't bother is because it's more trouble than it's worth. And that doesn't seem to be quite the right attitude, does it? Well, when you screen people coming off planes, what you're doing is you're looking at them and you're taking their temperature, which is a, it's not a particularly accurate way to diagnose something. But what we do know nowadays, and what has been really good about this particular outbreak, compared to other outbreaks in the past, is that the Chinese authorities isolated the virus very quickly and then did the, the clever uh, coding of the virus so we know how the virus is made up, which means that we can make diagnostic kits to test it. So now, if you have somebody with the symptoms, and if they have a lady high temperature and you screen them, you can quickly do a test on them to see whether they really do have the coronavirus or whether their symptoms are just the normal cough and cold and flu that we all get. 
Yes, of course. That makes and, life I a mean, lot easier to isolate people. Yeah, of course. And I mean, one of the ironies, I suppose, of all of this is that, you know, the press loves a good sort of, you know, scare story. They love a good mystery illness, a good kind of, you know, sinister uh, thing coming from abroad. But in truth, the, the flu that we get regularly in this country on an annual basis kills far more people, doesn't it? It probably does. Um, you're right. But we should also be aware... Um, that the concern that the World Health Organization has had and continues to have and that we all have is of another huge global pandemic of some disease. Yeah. There's only a matter of time before that will happen. And I think every time we see outbreaks like this coronavirus in, in China, um, we need to be aware of that. The Chinese authorities have done a really good job, I think, of isolating, identifying the virus and trying to control it to try to stop this spreading and becoming worse. Yeah. And it may well be that it doesn't actually get much worse and, you know, it has a bad effect. And obviously the, the people it does affect is terrible. But it may not be the next outbreak of something like Spanish flu, which we should remember killed tens of millions back in the early 1900s. No, of course. But, I mean, certainly um, the World Health Organization is on the point of making it a global health emergency. So I guess you have to take them fairly seriously because it's been going on now since before Christmas, hasn't it? Yes, it has. It was first identified, I think the first case was identified in sort of mid-December, um, and then they had a little cluster and they thought there was an outbreak. Um, it, I mean, it's likely, Mike, that people have been affected by this coronavirus before December and had the symptoms which were passed off as just a normal cough and cold and a flu. Yeah. And then when they had this cluster, and then they discovered they had some deaths from it, that's when they start looking at it a bit more carefully and say, OK, maybe we have an outbreak of a different virus. This virus has mutated a bit and we need to be aware of it. That's what we're concerned about. You know, it's so easy nowadays to hop on an aircraft, isn't it? Yes. Go anywhere in the world. And that's what we see. This virus has been transmitted you know, around the world very quickly. Well, I remember now, somebody turning up at Heathrow a couple of years back. I think they came in from India uh, and carrying bubonic plague. Yes, and I think there's, there'll always be some transmission and it happens in aircraft. And as we travel around the world, it will happen. And we have to be aware of it because our concern is that there will be some serious pandemic in the future. It will happen. Mm. Uh, it's just a matter of time. And so what we would need to make sure is that we're all prepared for it. I um, think here in the UK, we are well prepared for it. And what, as far as you know, is the kind of uh, symptom first uh, that you have to look out for? I mean, on the off chance that, that, that you somehow come into contact with this disease? Mm. Um, the symptoms are very similar to those when we get, you know, a cold or what we would call the flu. So mm. you get a temperature, a fever, you get a cough, you don't feel very well. Um, and then that persists and you have a really bad cough and your chest infection gets worse. Mm. And the virus, in fact, affects your chest. And in some people, they go on to have serious chest infection, which is pneumonia. And that's when they need some really quite high-intensive treatment to try to make sure they're okay and to, and to treat that. But that's the challenge. It's the symptoms initially are just like the cough and cold that you and I get. Yeah. So right. what, what we're advising travellers, uh, travellers who are going you know, to China and to elsewhere around the world, is, is just a couple of things. So don't travel if you're sick, because that's never a particularly good idea. If you do travel, then just be aware of those sort of fairly simple hygiene bits of advice. You know, wash your hands regularly, yeah. eat well-cooked well, well food, um, stay away from these live meat and these wet markets that they have in, in China and, and other parts of Asia. If you do come into contact with people who seem to have symptoms like this, be aware of it. Try and stay away from them. Stay away from live animals and dead animals. And if you have any symptoms that you're concerned about, then if you have coverage with us, give us a call. Otherwise, see a health professional, um, and they will then be able to work out if you have coronavirus, which is unlikely, or if you have something else. 
And it doesn't have to be deadly, I guess. As you said, it depends on whether you're in a vulnerable group or not. That's right. And the majority of us, you know, you and I, Mike, we would be fine, I think. We might get some fairly unpleasant symptoms, yeah. but we're unlikely to have a really nasty effect and, and, and have a poor outcome. Probably. Right. I mean, in Wuhan, however, in China, they've now got 11 million people living there. They've all basically been ordered to wear masks in public places and at work. They've shut down the buses, the underground, the ferries, uh, all outgoing flights from there now as well. So, I mean, that should probably contain it where it is, right? Yes, and I mean, that's, a, 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 I would say, a, an impressive move by the Chinese authorities um, who are able to put that level you know, of, of, of things in Wuhan to try to prevent the spread of this disease. And mm. I suspect we will see you know, a good outcome from that. Yes. Don't, don't say in a week's time when you're talking to one of my other colleagues, that bloke Mark Paris didn't get it right <laughs> the world. Well, I mean, um, I have to say, you have been much more sensible about this than the previous guy that I spoke to on Monday. Now, he was very dismissive. I mean, I think he was one of those scientists who's kind of seen it all before and basically was like, you know, look, we know that flu kills millions of people every single year. You know, this is like a mere, mere drop in the ocean. But it's all very well to say that. People do get concerned and people do get worried and sometimes they need reassuring. Yes, they do. And I think they need the reassurance and they need the facts because... Nowadays, as you, as you would be much better aware than me, Mike, there's a lot of rumour and rhetoric um, and, and less facts. Yes. And that's why what we try to do, and we have a website you know, on our system which is actually open to anybody, whether you have membership with us or not, which gives you some facts about this. And we update it regularly all the time with information from the World Health Organization and the Chinese authorities to try and give you that sort of single point of truth. Um, that you can go to and then work out what you need, whether you need to take any steps or not. Sure. Dr Mark Paris, Medical Director at International SOS, thank you very much indeed. Making very good sense, Dr Paris, there, I have to say. Uh, 10 out of 10 for him. Uh, not so much for our guest on Monday, uh, who just kept telling me that I was completely wrong and hysterical to say that we should be screening at airports and we should probably be wearing masks. Two things which are now happening, OK? How about this from Jenny, who says this, the outbreak of Wuhan flu has probably been underreported to save face and not to miss the economic benefits of tourism for the Chinese New Year. Remember that Yasina Pestis killed a third of Europeans. A piece of paper handed to passengers with advice on return is pathetic. The World Health Organization should be shot. Well, that's probably slightly over the top. But I don't think anyone needs to be shot, to be honest. However, um, it does seem to me um, that the medical professions are sometimes a little bit slow on the uptake. And once again, I find myself to be correct. It just keeps happening. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.
Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. How about this for a, te- a tweet from Ed Davey, a man who made Plank of the Week for the first time uh, in the uh, start of the new year, uh, in the first show that we did uh, on Plank of the Week with uh, Anunziata Rees-Mogg. Uh, he sent out a tweet saying this, Just arrived back from Brussels for the last time as an EU citizen before Brexit. A sad moment. <laughs> Let me tell you, Ed, you were never an EU citizen. Nobody was. You can't have an EU passport. You can't belong to the European Union as a nation. It is not a nation. It is a collection of nation states. You are a British citizen, you were a British citizen, and you remain a British citizen. So there's that word again for you. He says, My sadness dimmed only by meetings with our amazing Lib Dem MEPs and European colleagues in Renew. The EU is how countries best work together for the common good on climate, on international trade, on global security. The UK achieves so much on these international issues at the EU table. By leaving the table, we reduce our power and our sovereignty. We will always stand side by side with citizens across the EU and work with fellow liberals and progressives across Europe. And luckily for you, Ed, you don't have to book a very big room in which to do so now because there's only 11 of you left in the British Parliament because the people of this country thought that you're... Uh, useless policies and hopeless attitude towards the European Union was actually so useless that they didn't even want your leader, Joe Swinson, re-elected in the seat that she had in Scotland. So the Lib Dems are a busted flush, Ed, I'm afraid. So nobody really cares what you think. Nobody's really interested in your attitude about the European Union. So thanks very much indeed. Uh, SAD doesn't really quite cover it. Let's talk to Susan, who's in Holland on sea. Hello, Susan. Oh, good morning. How are you doing? um just in my view, I've got two things to say about this. Yeah. Uh, the first one is, I, th- I personally think they're going over the top. I, I believe that, they're, that it's been thrown out on the television because of certain news and that that's been in um, well, the which, Are you talking about the, the, the virus story? Yes. Yes. Uh, that's what I think. Right. I mean, you well, know, you know it's, it's, it's always difficult. to focus on that more than these other news that we're right. hearing about at the moment. What do you think? Something to do with the royal family, do you think? Well, I'm not saying definitely. It could be. It, yeah. could, be a ma- it could be a manner of things. Okay. But, um, I've, you know, the reason why I phoned up is I've seen this before with the other flus and bird yeah. flus and that and they just all come out all of a sudden when there's been things spoken sure. about or a lot of things going on and on that is my opinion yes. of course no I mean I think you, you've got yeah. a point uh, there Susan because I think the thing is newspapers love these kind of stories yeah. because they kind of they sound much worse than they really are and, and they um, sound very dramatic. The other point I want to say is about coughing and sneezing yes. now, now this has actually happened to me I've been very unlucky uh, I'm, it didn't happen every minute but some one sneezed in front of me. Right. Um, and I actually got qu- uh, quite ill the week really? after. I came down with a terrible cold and oh, all God. that sort of thing. But it's happened on one, more than one occasion. Really? It happened even in the summer. Is now, right? I was sitting in my husband's car, yeah. the other side, because mm. I don't drive. Right. There was another car right more or less next to ours, yes. because of the parking. Right. There was a and their window was down. Ours was down a bit, actually. Right. And she was sneezing and coughing in this car, and you could hear it. And anyway, I got ill. So Goodness. it's definitely true about these droplets. Yeah. You need to wash your hands, cover your faces. I don't mind. If someone's got a mask on, yeah. I think it's a good idea. If would you, wear, would you wear a mask, then, if you actually, went out? Actually, I know this was last year. I bought 
some offline. You know right. those paper ones? Oh, because yeah. I went on, I used to go on the bus quite a lot. Yes. And they don't open the windows. If I open the windows sometimes, people will moan. There's all that conversation on the window. Right. People coughing and sneezing. They've got nothing on them or anything. And uh, Or sometimes I've had a scarf around my nose and mouth. Right. I don't want to get the droplets, you see. No, I think that's probably quite sensible, Susan. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, the trouble is some people are more susceptible to that kind of thing than others. You can never really be too sure. I mean, I travel on public transport a lot in London, and let me tell you, uh, it can be pretty ghastly out there, particularly in the midst of winter. We're going to take some more calls in a moment. 03444991000 is the number. But uh, Matt Hancock uh, is uh, Secretary of State for Health and Social Care. Funnily enough, uh, he happens to be making a, a, an address to the House of Commons. epicentre of the outbreak in Wuhan city, including on international flights. A small number of cases of the new coronavirus have now been detected in other countries, including Thailand, Japan, South Korea, Taiwan and the United States. Experts at the World Health Organization are meeting again today to determine whether this new outbreak now constitutes a public health emergency of international concern. Mr Speaker, most cases of the new coronavirus so far have been non-fatal. In these cases, most people experience cold and flu-like symptoms and then recover. However, there have been a small number of cases so far where it's proven more serious and fatal. There are no confirmed cases of this new infection in the UK so far. We've been closely monitoring the situation in Wuhan and have put in place proportionate precautionary measures. Our approach at all times has been guided by the advice of the Chief Medical Officer, Professor Chris Whitty. Since yesterday, Public Health England officials have been carrying out enhanced monitoring of direct flights from Wuhan City, and all passengers on direct flights from China will receive information on what to do if they fall ill. Professor Whitty and Public Health England, aided by international experts... Matt Hancock there, Secretary of State for Health, uh, making a statement to the House of Commons on uh, the flu that is coming out of Wuhan, the, um, uh, the coronavirus, as it's known. Basically saying all of the things that I said they should do on Monday, which they are now doing. Do you see what I'm saying? Let's talk to John, uh, who's in Spain. Hello, John. Well, hi, morning. Morning. Um, Mike, just a couple of things you might like. A yeah. Quick, quick um, of our future king. In 2009, Charles stated the world had eight years to save itself. <laughs> in, two, in 2015, he changed it. He revised it to 35 years. Right. Now he's saying 18 months. Right. And his old, and his old mate Al Gore in 2006 said 10 years would be, be the point of no return. Yeah. He also said in 2006, six, there'd be no Arctic within five years and the pole would be ice-free. Yeah. Now, they've all, they've all talked a load of nonsense, but they get no apologies at all from no. any of them. In 40 years, we, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a climate sceptic. I just don't know, like most of us. Well, but no, but the point is, is no that what, we do, what we do know, John, is that, as you say, all of the predictions that have been made in the past have ceased to become true. Al Gore even produced a film called An Inconvenient Truth, which was riddled with so many errors that a judge in this country... Yeah. De uh, decided it would be unwise to show it to school children because it was all rubbish. And here we are, following, f still following these guys. No apologies. If they'd been investment advisors, they'd have been sacked and sued. They hadn't. They've got nothing right in forty no. years. Not a one. We'd all, we'd all be bankrupt, point. man. We would all be bankrupt. Yeah. John, a great call. Thank you very much indeed. He's absolutely right. Prince Charles, what a plank. He's going to have to join the planks list next week. I'm afraid he's going to be my nomination. Malcolm's in Oxford. Hello, Malcolm. Good morning, Mike. Morning, sir. 
Um, your, you brought up about Ed Davey. Yeah. It's quite interesting, really, because in the uh, local newspaper in Oxford today, um, it's big headlines that um, there's going to be EU celebrations on the 31st of January. Oh, yeah. Uh, using the uh, town hall, and they're going to be flying the uh, EU flag. Um, they've got speakers going in about the positive uh, vibes of Europe and why we shouldn't be leaving. Yeah. And guess what? We've got two of the speakers are going to be there. It, one will be Annalisa Dodds and the other, Leila Moran. Oh, I know. Leila Moran. Listen, Malcolm, I'm just going to interrupt you for a second. Stay where you are, because I'm not finished with you. However, we have got a caller from Wuhan province, uh, Wuhan city, actually, uh, in China. Andrew, uh, who's obviously listening to this show. Andrew, very good morning to you. Good evening from China, Mike. How are you yeah, doing? Listen, great to hear from you, Andrew. Thank you so much for calling in. Um, tremendous to know that you're able to get talk radio down there. Uh, tell us what's happening. Well, it's pretty bleak on the ground. Um, I mean, people have been taking more and more precautions the last few days. Um, you know, a week ago, you know, certain people had masks on, a lot of people didn't. And as time's gone on, um, you know, obviously, as, as words got out about, you know, the increasing number of people that are getting ill, right. uh, you know, it started to sink in, more and more people wearing masks. Um, of course, it's Chinese New Year, which really complicates matters. Sure. So... And it's a big city. I mean, I mean, there's 11 million people there, so it's sort of London size, right? Yeah, it's massive. I mean, Wuhan's the capital of Hubei province. Hubei's about, it's like almost as big as the UK. Right. You know, it's huge. Right. And what are you doing uh, there, Andrew? Are you so, working? Yeah, I mean, I, I work here, I'm it, and um, I, I, I'm like a, a financial trader okay. by, uh, for my profession, and then... Uh, I sort of, um, I study Chinese and I, I, with friends of mine, we put nights on, we put like DJ nights on, I DJ and stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting place. Wuhan's not for everyone, you right. know. It's a pretty um, cool thing you're you doing, know, I must say. How long have you been out there, Andrew? I've been here for about eight years. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I've lived in Asia for about 15 years now. I was in Thailand before that. Okay. But uh, I sort of randomly ended up here. And do, are, but, you, are um, you worried at all? I mean, because what we're told here, although they're now finally taking some precautions at the airport and stuff like that, that basically, unless you're one of the vulnerable groups of people, um, you, if you get it, you're not going to die unless, unless you are in a vulnerable group. Well, that doesn't stop everyone from being, you know, scared. To no, of course. It. I mean, especially when the death toll's rising every day. I mean, to complicate matters, I mean, my wife's five months pregnant. Oh, goodness. And uh, yeah. there was a, a, a social media group she's in with other pregnant mothers. And, uh, like, there was one mother apparently caught it and had to have the baby aborted. Oh, goodness. Um, so, I mean, right now, she's not leaving the house. Right. I went out this morning to do a sort of a grocery run because today, obviously, we heard the news that the city's going into lockdown. So um, that has would normally cause a run on the shop's Anyway, you'd yes, imagine. Right. Uh, that's been that's been exacerbated by the fact that it's Chinese New Year now, so everyone's you know trying to buy stuff anyway to cook, you know, family meals sure. and stuff. So it was particularly crazy today. Yeah, I bet. Um, but in general, I mean, it's kind of a ghost town now. I yeah. mean, people they kind of heeded the warnings and they're just trying to sort of stay at home and just sort of um, you know hoping that the whole thing blows over. Yes. You know. 
Well, let's hope so. And listen, we'll stay safe, Andrew. Thank you so much for calling in and giving us that information. We may be back in touch with you, uh, if you don't mind, at some point over the next few days, because that is uh, remarkable in and of itself that we've got a man by the name of Andrew uh, who listens to talk radio in China, in Wuhan, uh, who says it's really quite scary there at the moment. So all of those people who said, don't worry about it, you know, I think you might want to think again, to be honest. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Join the Common Sense Revolution. Watch us on YouTube even as we speak because the next part of this show is going to be electric, I can tell you, because not only uh, have we got James Whale coming on, he's actually on the line right now because the last time we tried to get him on, he decided he didn't want to come on. He went to the pub instead. So I'm delighted to say that Mr James Whale, radio legend, um, talk radio host uh, from the 7 to 10 show, is here. James, a very good afternoon to you. Yeah, I didn't decide to go to the pub. I was in the pub and there was no signal. What did you go to a pub with no signal for when you know you're supposed to talk to me on the radio? Well, I didn't know there was no signal. And I was <laughs> and then the, uh, the landlord said, no, he said, no, we haven't got any signal here. <laughs> what were you doing in Cornwall? I was just a couple of couple of hours off. With. Why not? Listen, I've been very much enjoying your show of late, um, but you are accompanied on the show by a man who has an awful lot of hair. Mr. Ash yeah. Gould. Um, yeah. And apparently, according to a piece I'm reading in the Times today, if you're fretting about going grey, try and relax, because you will actually go grey the more you worry about it. Have you noticed he is going very grey? I have. Yeah. I uh, have. Mike, aren't you slightly grey yourself? I am, actually. The thing about my hair, though, is that it's... I mean, I'm just happy that it's still here, to be honest, because I'm quite old now. And, you know, I didn't expect to have all my hair when I reached this grey age. Well, you see, I've never had any hair, and I find it a blessing. Uh, except I would like it to have gone grey, but it just won't go. <laughs> Shush, girls. Blimey, have you just killed something? <laughs> now, but, but, I mean, I'm sure I've seen a picture of you with, 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 a, with a beard and, and hair. What are you doing to that poor creature? No, uh, sorry, that's Daisy May, who is completely grey, by the way. Right. Well, no wonder. He's probably stressed out from whatever it is you're doing to her. He's sitting here, and there's an advert for uh, the dog's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid you may find yourself at the Perry Awards this week, James. <laughs> I must go into the other... Hey! Stop it. No, is she not. biting you? Yeah, James no. Wells now getting attacked live on talk radio. It's one of the greatest things you'll ever hear. Right. Oh, listen, you're not streaming this still, are you, on TV? Yes, we are. Because I'm in my dressing gown. Well, like, we haven't got you on camera because, you know, we haven't quite worked out the technology for that yet. But if you'd Skyped in, we might have been able to do that. Oh, gosh, no. Well, thank goodness I didn't. No, well, that's right. Now, here's the but thing. Stress out of your life, Michael. Now, do you want to tell me the problems and see if I can't help you for a bit... Well, you know, I've had a very stressful life, as you could imagine, James, because I've got four children, right? Um, I was married. I got divorced. I did live in New York for a while. I worked with Mike Parry. I mean, what, what, I mean, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Oh, you should be completely white. <laughs> I should be dead, actually. If you'd seen what I was up to during the 80s in New York, I, should have, I shouldn't have survived that. Listen, if you could see what I was up to in the 70s, uh, none of us should be going. <laughs> but there we go. But were you? But I was going to say, I'm sure I've seen a picture of you when you used to do that TV show when you had a bit of hair and it was quite long. I, I did. I, through my life, I have had varying hair 
uh, hair styles. Mm. Um, and but I was always receding, and, and then had that very sort of the, you know the monk bit at the top of the head when I was about eighteen. Right. In, oh, sorry, just got jumped on by the flipping dogs. They won't be here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, uh, and I, I just, I had long hair, but it's curly, a bit like yours right. at the back. Yeah. I'm actually uh, thinking of getting mine cut today. Well, why don't, listen, why don't I do it for you? Because I do my own hair. Yeah, but you probably shave your head, don't you? Well, yeah, of course. But, uh, I mean, I, I think that's how we should go. Well, I've you got, know, I'd, I'd prefer a woman to cut my hair. I don't really like men cutting my hair. Why not? I don't, it gives me, it makes me feel a bit funny. Oh, you want to get over that? Get in touch with your feminine side. I have a very nice, gentle touch. Do you? Yeah. That's what Ash tells me. Yeah. Why don't, well, you cut, why don't you cut his hair? Practice on him first, and I'll see how you go. Well, what is it about you guys with hair? I mean, I, I mean, it's like it's your crown jewels. It's hair. It's unnecessary. Well, I mean, I go in the shower, turn around a few times, and go. I bet you're stuck there with a hairdryer. No, I don't use a hairdryer. I'm just joking. I, I don't even comb it. Well, no, that's obvious when I think about it, nor does Ash. I came uh, in the other day, actually, um, because I don't know if you saw the day that I had no water. I woke up because there was a, a water main break, so I couldn't have a shower. So I went to the to the hairdressers to get my hair washed, and I came in looking like Gordon Gecko because they, uh, they, they scraped it all back. <laughs> yeah, and that was when it was very shiny. I do remember... Yes, I think he put pomade in it. Oh, that's lovely. I put that on my beard sometimes. Do you? Yeah, mm. very, very nice. Now, listen, I've got, I've got one um, bone to pick with you, though. I was listening to your show last night, and I tweeted you, um, and I said, has James Whale actually gone mad? Because it sounded like you were advocating socialism, for heaven's sake. For goodness sake, don't be ridiculous. Well, what it sounded that? like that. What did I say? I can't remember now, but you were advocating socialism in some way, shape or form to I do with sharing, done. the sharing of the wealth or some nonsense. I have never said that in my entire life. Are you sure? Of course. I'm, are you sure you're all right? I'm f absolutely fine, yeah. I mean, I was talking to somebody from a, a, one of those uh, Labour think tanks suggesting that what they really need was to go back to the kind of Labour party of Tony Blair. Right. Um, yeah, well, I would have, I would have agreed with that. Yeah, and I was also uh, uh, suggesting that if <laughs> shouldn't say this, what we're talking about here, I suggested that uh, Rebecca Long Bailey. Did you hear her speech? I don't know if you did. I didn't. No, I don't bother with that sort of rubbish. No, well, you should. You need to know what people are doing. Why? Uh, dullest. Well, it's interesting. A friend of mine uh, has joined the Labour Party solely so he can vote for her. <laughs> At leaders' election because he thinks that will uh, achieve the the Conservatives being in power for the next twenty years. Yes, well, almost anyone that wins it will do that. I think. I mean, they're all useless, aren't they? Well, I think you know there might be a little bit of trouble if um, uh, Keir Starmer or Lisa Nandy uh, joined, but who knows? I mean, if they carry on with the sort of extreme socialist ideals that we hear, I think probably we'll uh, have Boris in for the foreseeable future, yes. which in my great but you know other people may not agree right well that's true so yeah, what i mean so well you've obviously forgotten about it because you've been flip-flopping around on all this stuff for ages now i mean you started off being a remainer then you were a lever then you went back to being a remainer where are you now on it i can't remember hey, hey don't listen i quite like you even though you have some strange <laughs> habits you know 
Uh, very know. strange habits, which I'm not about to reveal. Thank you very much for not revealing them. Yeah. Uh, and I, well, I, you know, that's between you and your psychiatrist, isn't yeah, it, really? Yeah, it is. Um, but the, uh, or your vicar, I'm not sure which. <laughs> um, but I can't, I can't remember ever, ever doing that, unless I was doing it tongue-in-cheek, and you see them, I'm so subtle. Yes, you it could be. Not. Your yeah. subtlety may have been lost on me. That's possibly true. But what are you going to do? What, which, which political per persuasion are you going to have tonight, then? Well, I've only ever got one. I mean, I, I might try to find out, is there really any point in having Liberal Democrats anymore? No, definitely not. That'll be a well, short section. Yeah, there we are. <laughs> I have a nice live music session towards the end of the show tonight. With Very a, nice. A guy, interestingly enough, a guy who was a barman in Abbey Road Studios. Oh, yeah. And then they suddenly got spotted, um, and he's, uh, he's now made an album. Oh, very nice. That's always a nice sort of little story, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and he's sort of your age, I think. So Is he? Well, that's quite, quite interesting. I'm quite young, I've come, then. I've come up with a great idea for a new travel show that I thought you and I could do. Yes. Does it involve travelling? Well, it would do, wouldn't it? Good. Of course. Yeah. But uh, there'll have to be three of us, right? Right. And so it's going to be called You, Me and JHB. JHB? What? Bamford, the guy with the digger? Julia Hartley Brewer. Oh, Julia Hartley Brewer. You yeah, don't want to travel with Julia Hartley Brewer. She'd be up in first class and she'd make us go in steerage. Yeah, but that would be quite funny, wouldn't it? It would, actually, yeah. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Well, I'll put it to her. Yeah. And all I right. think we would go everywhere in a camper van. <laughs> I don't know about that. Who's uh, driving? Well, I'll drive because I don't really trust anybody else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've actually driven a camper van. I took one down to Devon one year. I got a freebie uh, from uh, some camper company. And I took my kids in it, right? And what I didn't know was that most people who have these big camper vans also have a, either a motorbike or a car yeah. you know, behind, so that when you have to go to the local shops, you go off in the car. I didn't have that. So I, everywhere I went, I had to go in the massive camper van. And I had to park in Tesco's one time across about eight different bays, away from the, so far away from the, from the shop. I, you know, I had to get a train practically to the place. It's terrible. Yeah. I don't think I could really do that. I mean, I think, you know, if we had one for... Well, maybe maybe, uh, maybe we just... Everybody tries to do things on a budget, don't they? So they do. Maybe you, me, and JHB uh, do the most expensive uh, holidays into the most expensive hotels we can find. Yeah. Well, do you know what? You could also um, do it without a budget here at Talk Radio TV because they don't have one. Well, yeah, we could do that. <laughs> we could do it on what they call a green screen for all uh, our Yes, listeners. Exactly. We, you can pretend to be anywhere in the world. It's just, <laughs> just an idea, because I'm concerned that your greyness now is because of your stress, and we yeah. need to do something about it. Yeah, well, it's very kind of you to think of me in that way, James. Thank you. Listen, 7 o'clock tonight, don't miss it. James Well, the James Well Show, with Ash, a man who's got more grey hair than you can shake a stick at. And um, maybe we'll be doing a little project together. James is full of ideas. I think that's quite, quite a good one. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio if you enjoyed that be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 monday to friday on talk radio via dab online or via the talk radio app and if you have an opinion on the stories we cover we'd love to hear from you call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at talk radio during the show to have your say mid-morning with mike graham talk radio